Well, good morning, everybody. Hope you guys are dry. Uh, first of all, the uh, first service definitely wasn't, but uh, I'm glad that you're here. Thank you, guys, those of you who are here in the house, and for those of you who are joining us online. I doubt there's anybody on the backstage patio, but if you are, we're glad that you are out there in the rain. So uh, anyway, uh, really glad that you're here today. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn to Matthew chapter uh, uh, 18. Uh, I almost said 13. That was last week. So anyway, Matthew chapter 18, as we continue in our series uh, called Short Stories, the Parables of Jesus. And we just sang about forgiveness. And I love that line, uh, the treasure that we have found. And Jesus is a treasure, but what he offers us is a treasure because he offers us forgiveness. And today we're going to be talking about forgiveness. And I believe that in our Christian life, forgiveness is one of those things that maybe is, is fairly simple for us to understand, but it's very difficult for us to live. And my prayer today is, is that you and I would see from God's word what true forgiveness is really about, but more than that, that maybe our understanding of biblical forgiveness would go from our head to our heart and that we might be able to release the chains of maybe some bondage that's keeping us stalled out in our lives. It's keeping us in neutral because that's what unforgiveness does in our lives is it keeps us stalled out in our lives. How many of you grew up and you learned how to drive on manual transmission? All right, yeah, all right. How many of you, uh, you know, grew up driving automatic? You can raise your hand, all right. How many of you have no idea what I'm talking about? <laughs> I realized as our kids got older, it doesn't matter today because you really can't find, unless you're driving a big truck or something like that, you can't find anything that's manual. But I I grew up on, on the manual transmission, and I remember like being in Atlanta and driving manual transmission, you really learn how to drive manual transmission. And I remember like having that clutch go in and out when you're on a hill in Atlanta in traffic when there's like, there's not just one person behind you you're going to hit if you drift back. There's like 10. And uh, so anyway, I, I actually loved that car. It wasn't my first car, but it was a car, kind of a sports car that my dad bought for my mom. I think that was, that was his gift, wasn't it, to him? Anyway, uh, so anyway, but we can, do, we can get stalled out in our spiritual lives, and we can get stalled out in our work lives. We can very easily get stalled out in the relationships that we have, and we can get stalled out psychologically and emotionally and mentally in our lives. And I believe that one of the big reasons why we as Christ followers get stalled out in our lives is because we have unforgiveness towards someone who has hurt us. One author says that forgiveness is a funny thing. It warms the heart and it cools the sting. And it really is true that forgiveness does that. But unforgiveness can cause so many problems in our lives. And so today, I'm going to do a little bit of ripping the Band-Aid off of the hurt and harm that we have. And I know that some of this may bring up some emotion. It may bring up some, some hurt that maybe you've had. But I do want you to begin to, to walk in that place or towards that place of healing. I, I want for us as a church to go from a place of, of hurt and harm that people have caused in our lives to a place of healing in our lives so that we can be the best Christ followers that we can be, that we can have the most impact, that we can be sharing our gifts and serving our communities 
to the best of our ability. The problem is, is that we sometimes want to walk from hurt and harm to healing, and we don't want to make the most important stop along the way, and that's the stop at forgiveness. It's like the Hartsfield-Jackson Airport of healing. You have to go through it to get just about anywhere in the world, am I right? I grew up in Atlanta, and that was what Atlanta was known about, and that really is what Atlanta's known about, and that's what forgiveness is about. We can stop. There's a lot of stops along the way on that path from hurt and harm that someone's caused us to healing, but the most important stop that we can make and the place that we need to linger the longest is at that stop of forgiveness. If we miss that, if you and I miss that stop of forgiveness, true healing can't take place. When we don't forgive, we don't heal. When we don't heal, we, we spiral. And when we spiral, we hurt others. And so unforgiveness is this thing that's incredibly damaging. It causes death in so many different ways. And so I want to begin today by asking you a question and I want you to think about just the, the one answer to this question. Who in your life is in the greatest need of your forgiveness? Who in your life has hurt you the most and is therefore in need of your forgiveness the most in your life? Because it's the one's that have hurt us and harmed us the most, that is in so great need of forgiveness. And it is a treasure. It is a gift that we can offer, not because we can do it on our own, but because Christ offered it to us. We'll talk about that in a moment. But I want to ask that question this morning. Who in your life is in need, is the most in need of your forgiveness? It may have been someone who hurt or harmed you a day ago, or it may be someone who hurt or harmed you years and decades ago. It may be someone who kind of keeps coming up in your life that continues to hurt or harm you. My prayer is, is that this would, I know it's going to maybe elicit some, some you know, tough emotions. Maybe it stings a little bit to think about that person or that situation. But my prayer is, is that you and I, we would walk towards healing and that we'd make that stop at forgiveness and take forgiveness seriously. Unforgiveness leads to so much death. We, we understand cognitively that when we have unforgiveness in our heart towards someone else in our lives for the hurt and the harm that they've caused, it leads to anger and it leads to bitterness and it does lead to revenge and vengeance and loneliness and maybe even ultimately unfaithfulness. But experts tell us that unforgiveness, listen to this, leads us to a mental and emotional place that we are in a perpetual fight-or-flight mode. That our reaction is always right on the verge of running away or jumping into the fight all the time. And experts tell us that it can cause involuntary anger and even violence. That unforgiveness puts us in a place it keeps our brain on survival mode, and it keeps our minds on this high, heightened state of alert. And experts tell us that unforgiveness actually makes the hurt, the initial hurt, go deeper. Any of you identify with that? 
that the initial hurt can go deeper when we're unforgiving towards the one who caused the hurt or harm because we stay in that place and we dwell on the thing and there's something that makes us feel better when we dwell on the thing and that anger and bitterness grows and there's something that happens in us, even chemically, experts tell us, that make us feel better. But the truth is, is that it makes the original hurt worse, unforgiveness does. Unforgiveness, experts say, lead us to more hurt And doctors and scientists tell us that unforgiveness even adds to our memory loss. (laughs) So maybe, maybe, maybe the reason that you and I are stalled out in our lives is because we have unforgiveness towards someone in our life. But when we release that, when we let that go, when we release that unforgiving heart, when we let those things go that are in our past that keep pulling us down, all of a sudden we walk into freedom. Carl Menninger, a famed psychiatrist, he once said that if he could convince his patients that are in his psychiatric hospitals that their sins are forgiven, 75% of them could walk out of the door that day into freedom. And I believe that's true. And maybe some of you are being held back. Maybe you have found yourself in neutral or even stalled out in life. And perhaps it's because you have not forgiven the one person in your life that has hurt you the most. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm dealing with these spiritual things that are so raw and sensitive, I I, I like bring up lists of things, right? Like, Some of you may be like, let's talk about unforgiveness. I've got some notepads with a list of people that I can talk about today, right? And then all of a sudden it becomes overwhelming. So today, that's why I want for us, myself included, to think about the one person that needs our forgiveness the most. Matthew chapter 18, such a, critical, uh, such a critical passage, such a critical time when Jesus and his disciples were having some discussions and Jesus kind of turned things into a lesson as he often did. And he's describing at the beginning of Matthew 18 about how we should be humble followers of Christ. He, he's teaching how we should flee from temptation. He's teaching his disciples and followers then how Christ followers should confront people within the church who have have done wrong. And um, that's something that most churches, ours included, will will go back to even today, a biblical model of how to do that. And right on the heels of that, here comes our guy Peter that is always stirring it up. And I love this in Matthew chapter 18. Check out what he does in verse 21, and we'll read all the way down to 35. Then Peter came up to him, meaning Jesus, and he said this, Lord, You've just talked about forgiveness, but how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Peter's essentially asking, how many times do I have to forgive the one that has hurt and harmed me? And Peter asks another question. He says, as many as seven times? And Jesus responds and he says to him, I don't say to you seven times, but I say 77 times. Now, there's a couple interesting things. I want to pause here for a second. There's a couple interesting things. We always kind of laugh at Peter because he's always the one that walks in the room mouth first, right? He's that disciple that walks in the room mouth first. Like, he's, his mouth is always open. He's always saying the thing that makes everybody uncomfortable in the room. 
Like, I, I can imagine, like, you know, some of the other disciples, Andrew and Peter, are like, oh, man, here he goes again. Bartholomew's like, you got to be kidding me, really? Is this guy really doing this? You know, they, they are really concerned about Peter because he's always got his mouth open. And so he's asking this question. And I think he gets a bad rap here because here's what we know is that most rabbis would teach followers of uh, Judaism that you really only had to forgive someone three times. So that makes Peter's question about how many times should we forgive. Jesus, you've just talked about forgiveness. How many times should we forgive? It makes it a little more sensible, doesn't it? It makes it a little more reasonable. Because what he was taught was is you only have to do three times. And Jesus has talked about this in the context of a comparison game that the disciples were playing. They're trying to compare themselves to each other. I like calling them Jesus' children sometimes rather than Jesus' followers because they act like siblings sometimes. They're always comparing themselves to each other. And Jesus is talking about forgiveness. And Peter asked a question that was probably on all their minds. How many times do we have to forgive? But then he said something that was... I'm showing a little bit of pride here when he asks the second question, when he says, is it seven times? Did you see what Peter did there? Some of you got it. He was trying to one-up. He, he, wanted, he wanted everybody in the room to have in mind that he had thought double of what the rabbi said, plus one. <laughs> he was like, oh, I'm sure we, we should do it seven times kind of polished his own apple. It made him look a little bit better. And so there's part of what, I, part of what Peter did there that's understandable, but he still had that vibrato and that, that kind of arrogance to go as many as seven times. And Jesus says, no, 77 times. The other thing that's significant about the number seven is it was the perfect number. And so both of them used that number in answering this question. And Jesus says, no, we should give them, forgive them 77 times which was an indicator to his followers that Christ followers should forgive an unlimited number of times. And then Jesus goes into the parable, verse 22, excuse me, 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. Now, just for a moment, let me just explain that in this day and age, if there was someone who had a great amount of debt, a great amount of money that they owed to someone else, um, if they owed the money, um, they would be asked to pay it back immediately, and most times they'd be sent to prison anyway. And if they couldn't pay it back, and it was a large sum, they would be sent to prison or they would be sold into slavery. And if it was a really large sum of money that they owed, their whole family would be sent into slavery. <laughs> so the next time you and I, we get our bills in the mail, we should be thankful, okay? But back then, there was no, like, you know, refinancing there was no payment plan that you could get into. There was no, like, we've got to combine this debt and figure this out. Man, it was like jail or slavery. And so keep that in mind as Jesus is telling this story. He's telling this story. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wishes to settle accounts with his servants. Verse 24. When he began to settle, one servant was brought to him, and he owed him about 10,000 talents. Uh, I am a nerd, so I found online an Old Testament calculator that calculates the number of talents in denarii, which we're going to get to in a minute. It takes old currency from the, the, the New Testament, and it gives you what it would be. You just plug it in like you would do a mortgage calculator or something like that. You plug it in, and it tells you how much it would be worth today. 
because I'm a nerd, and I found that, and whoever built it is more of a nerd. But anyway, found out that 10,000 talents equals over $200 million in today's world. This servant owed the king, in Jesus' story, he owed the king over $200, $200 million. I think I said $200,000. $200 million. The equivalent of today. Take a look at what happens, verse 25. And since he could not pay, <laughs> could any of us pay $204 million? No. His master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. In verse 26, he did what all of us would do in this situation. The servant fell to his knees, imploring him, have patience with me. He says to the king, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, in verse 27, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. Can you imagine walking into church today and someone says, hey, just by the way, today all your debts are paid off. That'd be a good Sunday. You'd come back next week, wouldn't you? <laughs> The king, the master, paid off the servant's debts, all of them. And in verse 28, but when that same servant went out, when he went out and walked into his freedom, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, I, again, I'm a nerd, so I did the calculations on that one. It's a little bit harder to find a calculator for a denarii, which was a different type of currency, but it all was kind of commingled in that day and age. And it ended up being that it was about worth $200 in today's currency. So he goes out, and he finds another servant who owed him, the one that was set free, the one that was resolved of all of his debts. He found someone that owed him the equivalent of $200, the one that was forgiven over $200 million. And look what it says. He owed him 100 denarii, and he seized him, and he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. <laughs> this would be on YouTube for sure, like somebody would be like recording this today. Verse 20, so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. And verse 30, he refused. And he went and he put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they went, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported it to their master, all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and he said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? And in his anger, kind of justified, right? The master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debts. And then Jesus says something very interesting and maybe a bit controversial in verse 35. He says, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And remember the context of what was going on. The disciples were making comparison 
This is probably a little bit like us as parents. Maybe it's a bad illustration, but us having enough of the kids when they were like two and five years old, and we're like, I'm going to go through the roof, or worse. <laughs> and we're just done. And I think Jesus was saying, hey, guys, this is the kind of thing that your father looks at when he looks at you. But it's what's important is what he said at the end. He says, he will do this if you do not forgive your brother in your heart. And essentially what Jesus was saying here, I want you to hear this, church, is that forgiveness is a heart issue. It's a heart issue. The money doesn't matter. The amount doesn't matter. The debt doesn't matter. What we have, what we have done to those that we've, who we've hurt and what those have, who have hurt us have done to us, it almost doesn't matter. What matters is our heart. It's our heart. I saw a statement this week that said, unforgiveness is like swallowing poison and expecting the other person to die. <laughs> and it really is true. And in so many ways, this is a problem in our day and age because, let's face it, the world serves us platter after platter after platter of things and issues, especially over the last three or four years, to be divided by. Am I right? It just does. I mean, if we can't find something that we have a different opinion about than someone else, we really have our head stuck in the sand. And so this idea of forgiveness I think should be on the forefront of the Christ followers' lives. It should be something that we lead with. It should be something that we are best at. It should be something that the world looks at Todd, and he looks at you, and he looks at the church, and he looks at this church. And the world, I think it's something that the world should look at us and go, man, I want what they've got, but Often, so often, we as Christ followers, this is the last thing that we focus on. And it just keeps us stalled in our lives. It just keeps us stalled in our lives. It keeps us from the best part of the Christian walk. Now, why is this so hard? Why is it so difficult for us? Why is it so easy for us to understand forgiveness in our minds? But why is it so hard for us to forgive each other in our hearts? Why is the attitude of, of forgiveness so difficult? I think part of it is, is because the world screams at us that if we are forgiving, that we are weak. Am I right? And the world looks at, at people who forgive others for, for, for hurt and harm that have been caused the world looks at us and, and says, you know what? When you forgive someone, you're, you're essentially saying, I'm forgiving them. That's putting your, yourself in a weak position. It's almost an admission that like, they are justified in what they did. And so the world looks at it and says that to forgive is weak, but it is actually the strongest thing that we can do in our lives. Especially to the one who has hurt us and harmed us the most. It's an essential part of the Christian life. 
And unforgiveness will stunt our spiritual growth like nothing else. And I just want to stop for a moment and say this to our church. We are looking at 15 years. I can't believe it's been 15 years. This church started 15 years ago this coming fall. And we're going to celebrate that, and that's awesome. But i got to tell you, man, and I'm talking to me right now too. Okay, This is all of us. If we're going to see our greatest days ahead, we as a church, individually and collectively, are going to deal with this issue. If we want to see our church reach people for Christ in our community, going and sharing the gospel out into the world, seeing people's lives changed and relationships changed and their situations changed, if we're going to get to the good stuff, we're going to deal with unforgiveness. We're going to deal with, as my son says, the beef that we have against people that have hurt us and have harmed us. And Jesus tells us, and the Bible even tells us, that not only did he come to forgive us of our sins, but he is the example. He set the stage for the example. He, he gave himself up as a model of how we should be. He even says it in the Lord's Prayer. You know, a lot of you know the Lord's Prayer, right? A lot of you may, you may be familiar with the Lord's Prayer, um, and you know a little bit about it. I want to read just a little bit of it. It's from Matthew chapter 6. Uh, by the way, this is part of the Sermon on the Mount. That's when he teaches the Lord's Prayer. And he's teaching this, and he says, this is how you should pray. Verse 9 of Matthew chapter 6. He says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. He's talking about kingdom here. He says, your will be done on earth. As it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. And then he says in verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. See, he sets up a comparison here. And it's kind of interesting that he did this with the story. Because the disciples, the whole reason they're in this discussion in the first place is because of what? Comparison. We're always comparing ourselves with each other. Even in the Lord's Prayer, he sets it up as a comparison. The Apostle Paul, in writing a very encouraging letter to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, he says this, he says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted. And then he says, what's that next word? You can say it, forgiving one another. How? As God, that's right, in Christ forgave you. He's setting the example. He's set the stage. He's given us the model that we are to forgive as Christ, as God forgave us in Christ. Ephesians 5, just that next chapter, says, therefore, the Apostle Paul is still writing this letter, says, therefore, be what? Imitators. Imitators of God. His beloved children walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Do you know how much it pleases God when you forgive someone who's hurt you and harmed you? It pleases him immensely. It pleases him so much. But it is so good for us in our spiritual lives. It gets us out of that stalled position. It gets us out of that place. It gives us something that gives us fuel to our spiritual 
lives. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, uh, said, to be forgiven is such sweetness that honey is tasteless in comparison with it. But yet there's one thing sweeter still, and that is to forgive. Hmm. As it is more blessed to give than to receive. So to forgive rises a stage higher in experience than to be forgiven. So I want to come back to you this morning. Who's the one that came to your mind? Who's the one that's at the top of the list? Because here's the deal. We all have harm and we all have hurt in our lives from someone who hurt us. But Jesus chose to be humiliated, to go through a phony trial, to be beaten, and to hang on the cross for my sins. So if he did that for me to give me freedom, spiritual freedom, and to give me heaven, why then shouldn't I forgive the one who has hurt me the most? Why shouldn't you, who are a Christ follower, if you're a Christ follower, forgive the one who has hurt you the most? This is a freedom that we can walk in, that Jesus talked about, that he set the stage for and gave us an example for. And it is as he forgave us, that's how much we should forgive each other. Listen, Christ follower, I just want you to listen for, for just a moment realize the weight of unforgiveness it may be on your shoulders right now that weight of unforgiveness may be in your life it may be affecting one or two or three areas of your life but in some cases that unforgiving heart it may be affecting every single area of your life and he willingly gave up his life for you. So maybe for you, it's time to let that go, to leave it with him, to just quietly here in a moment tell God that you forgive that one person. It's caused the most pain. It's caused the most harm and hurt in your life. Do you know so far, I've said nothing about making a phone call, sending a text, having a conversation. And God may call you to do that. And don't ignore that. And he may call you to do that today. He may call you to do it right now. But you know where it begins? It begins here. It begins in my heart. It begins in your heart. And the first work that we often have to do when it comes to forgiveness is to realize or receive the forgiveness he offered to forgive yourself for the things that you've done and then to forgive the other people in our lives that have hurt us and harmed us the most. John Stott writes in his book, The Contemporary Christian, he says, not long before she died in 1988, In a moment of surprising candor on TV, 
Marganita Lasky, one of the best-known secular humanist novelists in the world, essentially an atheist, said, what I envy most about you Christians is your forgiveness. She said, I have nobody to forgive me. And that's the thing about us. Is we have one who forgave us. Gave up his life for it. And I invite you and challenge you. I'm inviting myself and challenging myself to walk in the freedom that forgiveness brings. If you want to be healed from the hurt and the harm, you've got to be a stop on that path, on that way of forgiveness. Linger there. Stay there for a minute. Don't let it just be a blip on the screen. Don't just pass through. Stop there. And let God do some serious healing in your life and in my life. Father, I pray right now for those who are here in this room. God, I pray, pray for those who are joining online. Pray for those who may be listening. God, I pray for me, the leaders of Hilton Head Island Community Church, and I pray for us, all of us who are part of this. God, may, may we realize the price that you paid on the cross. The rest of the world has no one to forgive them, but we do. And you've already done all the work that is needed. Father, I pray for those who are listening right now. A name popped to mind. A name came up. Maybe it was easy. Maybe it was difficult. Maybe it was hard. But a name came up. And it's time for us to stop being stalled. And to stop being in neutral in our spiritual lives. And Father, I pray that you would give all of us courage the courage to forgive in our hearts the one or the ones that have caused us the most harm and father I pray that that one act of forgiving someone would lead to more and more and more and then that would lead to more and more and more freedom in our walk with you God that we would trust you further that we would hope in you more deeply Father, I pray that we would lay down those chains of unforgiveness right now and just give it to you, Jesus. Jesus, you set the example. You forgave us when we least deserved it, when we deserved it not at all. You forgave us. So, Father, may I forgive that person that came to mind. May you in this room forgive the person that came to mind may those of you who are listening or watching online may you right now offer forgiveness to the one who's hurt you and harmed you the most Father I pray that you would help us to walk in that freedom and forgiveness in our lives God may we never be like the servant who was given everything and when he had the opportunity to give his gift away of forgiveness he held it back. Mm. May we give it freely. May we give it generously. May we give it with 
grace. In your son's name, I pray. And all God's people said, amen.